0: Just blessed to have them join us here for our evening study in Jonah. We do have, as always, some prayer requests, and uh, we do want to bring them before the Lord. And then we'll look at our study tonight. But to continue praying for Pete Gonzalez Jr. has cancer, uh, we've been praying for him for a while. And uh, again, uh, haven't heard from his father uh, lately, and uh, don't know where they are on the uh, stem cell transplant that he was uh told me he was going to have it on the first week of December, um, so I don't know if he's had that yet. Uh, to continue to pray for Kathy's sister, Chris, uh, she has cancer, and she did have her first infusion. What's today, Sunday? Okay, I think it was Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday, she had her first infusion. So uh, she's going to have to have six of chemotherapy, so we want to keep her up in prayer. Uh, to pray for Victor Medina, he's going to have surgery December 29th. And we want to keep our brother Victor up in prayer for Pastor Tony, a little under the weather. And so we do pray for Pastor Tony that, uh, again, he'll recover and um, be back in business. So, uh, And also, uh, Brother Mike Reeder, he's um, also going to have a procedure done. And uh, I think it's going to be now December, uh, end of December. They wanted to postpone it because he just recently got over COVID. So they want to make sure that uh, that's all taken care of. So let's pray. Father... We lift up our brothers and sisters to you, Lord. We lift up Brother Mike Reader, who's going to have a procedure done. And uh, Father, we do pray that that would go well and all will go as scheduled. We pray for Pete Gonzalez Jr. with cancer and this. Um, Uh, tentative uh, stem cell transplant that he's uh, waiting on God we pray for him pray for his father we pray for his family Lord that you would just be with them comfort them during this time give them the strength that only you can give them we lift up Chris to you father we pray that you would just help her during this time and her her family Lord and 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 just uh, God may this take care of the cancer and and father may you just um, minister to her and build up her faith Strengthen her, Lord. We pray for uh, Victor Medina uh, that you would be with him as he prepares for this surgery on December twenty ninth, God, and that um, God, you would just uh, make all things ready and Father, you would touch each one of these individuals, Lord, and Father, we pray for all those that may be sick right now, for kids and grandkids, Lord, that are you know experiencing this flu, this bad cold that's going on and. Some of the other things, COVID and the RSV, God, and the flu. uh, Lord, did you be with our families and our friends, Lord, and get them through these difficult times. Have your hand upon them. Be with us, Lord. Keep us healthy and safe, God, and uh, minister to us, God. And bless our time, most of all, in your holy word, God. Speak to us, teach us, and help us to be what you've called us to be and help us not to do what you've called us and want us not to do, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Open your Bibles to Jonah chapter one, Jonah chapter one. We're going to look at verses 12 through 16 this evening. And uh, as the title may have given it away, man overboard, this is where Jonah gets thrown out into the ocean. Now, think about this. When we make choices in life, we never know how they will turn out. Now, God has given us free will. He's given us that ability to make the choices, right or wrong. And he's warned us. He's given us direction through his word. Uh, He's given us a conscience of what's right and what's wrong. And um, again, he he allows us to, to make our choices. And I've said before, we are free to choose our choice. But we are not free to, you know, determine the circumstances. We must pay the price for the choices that we make. You can make the choice, but you can't choose the way it's going to turn out. When Jonah decided to disobey God's word, God's command to go to Nineveh, to send the, to give the people a message to repent, when he decided to do his own thing and go to Tarshish, he probably never imagined how that would turn out. And the things that he would experience. He probably thought that he'd have a smooth trip. You know. uh, Arrive in Tarshish. Go about his business. His plans. Whatever those were. Never thinking. That he would have this experience on this ship. On the way. And end up being thrown off of the ship. Into stormy waters. At his own request. Much less being swallowed up. By a great fish. Now, again, when we first began the the book of Jonah, I mentioned that, again, we all, you know, everybody says it was a whale. The Bible says it was a great fish. I guess a whale would be a great fish, but nonetheless, it was a fish that God had prepared just for this specific situation and for Jonah. But the bumpy road of disobedience, which always looks so smooth when you start out, It looks so promising. And it looks like sometimes even God's laid it out for you can turn out to be a very unpleasant experience as it was for Jonah. But this has always been the experience for somebody who chooses the road to disobedience. In Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 9, again when Adam and Eve were there and and Eve began to question what God said, Satan began to put doubt in Eve's mind about the truthfulness of God, about the truthfulness of his word and the goodness of God's heart. He said, Eve, do you really mean that you can't eat from every tree? This was the significance of the devious and deadly question that that Satan posed to Eve. He said, you know, if God really loved you, Eve, he'd be a lot more generous. He's holding out on you. He's holding you back from enjoying and experiencing life. You see, Satan wanted Eve to forget what God told Adam. And and, and Satan wants us to forget the Word of God, the promises of God, the things that God tells us. And he does that in many ways. He He keeps us busy. And that's one of the words you hear, oh man, I'm so busy and... You know, and I just haven't had a chance to go to church. And, you know, I'm so busy doing this. And, you know, I don't have the time to read. And, and, you know, I've given this acronym before. Busy, you know, mean being under Satan's yoke. Busy. Being under Satan's yoke. Whatever he can do. And these things may be good things. Important things. But never, you know, uh, being more important in our devotion time, our reading, and our praying, and our spending time with God. So, again, Satan was, was again, uh, wanting Eve to forget about what God had told Adam, her husband, who had told her that they could eat freely of the trees of the garden. But God told them not to eat from the tree in the middle of the garden for their own good. And Eve's reply showed that she was following Satan's example and revising the very word of God. And when you read the passage in Genesis 3, you'll see that she left out the word freely. She added the phrase, nor shall you touch it. And she failed to say that God commanded them, her and her husband, to obey. And then finally she said, lest you die. In other words, you know, we weren't, we, we weren't to eat of the tree. And he said that, she said that God said you shouldn't even touch it. And not, and, and she didn't say that God commanded them to obey to obey. And even that, you know, that even, you know, and we're not to do that lest we die. Now, the, that word lest you die is a possibility that you might die. Instead of what God said, you will surely die. Lest you die is, you know, don't don't you can't eat of it in case you die. No, God said you will surely die. It's a fact. So you see, she took away from God's word. She added to God's word and she changed God's word, which are definitely serious offenses to God. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, 2, it says, you shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Revelation twenty two eighteen and 19, John said, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So God makes it very clear. We're not to add or take away from his word. Eve was starting to doubt God's goodness and truthfulness. Satan denied God's word. In Genesis 3, 4, he said, you will not surely die. This is a direct contradiction of God's word, you will surely die. But John said in John eight forty four, Satan is a liar and the father of them. God is the God of truth. And our response to what God says should be, as the psalmist said in Psalm 119, 128, therefore all your precepts, which is another word for his word, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right and I hate every false way. Also in Psalm nineteen seven through 9 the psalmist said, The law of the Lord is perfect, the testimony of the Lord is sure, the statutes of the Lord are right, the commandment of the Lord is pure, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The word law, testimony, statutes, commandment, judgments, they're all you know, the, 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 you know speaking about the word of God. So this is where Eve should have reminded herself about what God said and she should have believed what God said and she should should have gone and found her husband. But you see, it's when we linger at that place of temptation and we entertain the thoughts that Satan puts into our heads. So when we linger at the place of temptation, that's when we get into trouble, especially when we know that that our thinking is contrary to God's truth. Sooner or later, the disguise of disobedience is removed, and then you see it for what it really is. It's shock. It's a shock. It's sorrow and disappointment. You know, sins' expectation uh, do not never turn out to be what they what 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 we think they're going to be. Okay, following disobedience and expecting to find pleasure and profit never works out that way. And if it does, it's temporary. It's not lasting. Sin never tells you about the ship that the devil has waiting for you to take. To take you into the storms of life ahead that will result in you being tossed to and fro in the stormy seas of life. You need to watch out because the devil wants to sell you a ticket to the good life. Whether it's money or friends or good times. And in the end, you end up like the prodigal son in the pig pen of life. So when the sailors asked Jonah what his punishment should be, here's what he said. Notice in verses 11 through 12, let's pick it up now where we left off, beginning with verse 11. Then they said to him, and that is the sailors, they said to Jonah, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest notice is because of me. Now, if they had thrown Jonah overboard, he surely would have died. This was the strongest form of punishment. It was a death sentence. But even though Jonah had been a very serious problem for these sailors, they weren't all in in agreement with doing this. They were all in agreement with the death sentence. Yet the sailors showed mercy for Jonah. But it wasn't true mercy because true mercy is never exercised at the expense of justice. The cross is the proof of that. The sailors showed their leniency by what they did next. Notice in verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. These sailors put a lot of effort in trying to save Jonah themselves by rowing harder. What they were doing, it was sincere, but it wasn't according to the will of God. And no sincerity, no matter how well-meaning it is, will ever compensate for doing anything other than God's will. Rowing hard, man, it might look good. It might make you feel good according to what you think is good. But have you checked with the word of God to see if it is the will of God? You see, God doesn't reward disobedience. He lets go. He gets to a point where he says, "You know, you don't want to listen. You don't want to obey my commands. You don't want to be. You don't want to follow my." Okay, so be it. He just lets go and lets you go do whatever you you think you want to do, and you know, it, it never turns out good. God doesn't reward effort. He doesn't reward. Are our fleshly efforts, no matter how great they are, no matter how honorable they are, no matter how much they're praised by men, if they are contrary to the will of God. Psalm 49, verse 7 says, None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him, for the redemption of their souls is costly. Remember 1 Samuel, chapter 13, after Jonathan attacked the, the fort of the Philistines? A huge army of Philistines went to fight Saul and his army. And when the men of Israel saw that they were greatly outnumbered and they were in grave danger and they were distressed, the people began to hide in caves and in the bushes and in rocks and holes and pits. Some of the Hebrews even crossed over the Jordan, going away from the land. And Saul and all the people that were following Saul, man, they were were scared, man. They were trembling in their boots. Because they were greatly outnumbered by the Philistine army. And people were bailing out on them. They were running away. And Saul waited seven days for Samuel to come as as Samuel said he would do. But Samuel didn't come soon enough for Saul. And, And the people began to scatter. So Saul, he takes it upon himself to offer the burnt offering that Samuel said, Hey, I'll be there in seven days. I'll make the burnt offering. And Samuel came. Right after after Saul made the offering, Samuel shows up. And how many times, you know, God, you know, he shows up in our life at the last minute. But he promises he'll show up. So Saul sees um, uh, Samuel coming. The scripture says that Saul went out to meet him. It says he went out to greet him. And I'm sure Saul went out there thinking, you know, he's going to go, you know, tell Samuel what he did. And Samuel's going to be proud of him because, man, he took some action. You know, he took upon himself to do what needed to be done. And Saul did, you know, what he thought needed to be done in this crisis. His effort was good. His intentions were good. They were honorable. But he wasn't the one to do it. You see, it wasn't according to the will of God. And he prayed the prayer price for his disobedience. Samuel said, Saul, what have you done? Saul said, well, in light of the circumstances, I am paraphrasing, in light of the circumstances and you not coming when you said you would, I felt compelled to do the burnt offering. And Samuel said, Saul, you have done foolishly. Why? He says, you did not commit, you did not keep the commandment of the Lord your God which he commanded you. He said, you wait for Samuel to come and to make the offering. He said, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. David was another one who had good intentions when he moved the ark to Jerusalem. His intentions were right. His, they were honorable, but they, he didn't do it the way God had wanted him to do it. He took a shortcut. One of David's men paid the price for, for, for David's disobedience. The Bible says that, that, that David placed the ark of God on a new cart, a new cart. But on the way, the ox stumbled. Uzzah, one of the men with him, reached out to keep the ark from falling down and, and, and God struck him dead. That shows us what our sins, how our sins can affect somebody else. It says the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah. God struck him dead because of this. So Eza, Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. And then David did what he was supposed to do. He went he got the poles as he was directed to do. You know, if he would have done it right the first time, it would have eliminated the death of this man. Effort is worthy of praise only if it's used to do God's will. The work is honorable, but not outside the will of God. Going back to being thrown off the boat. Remember, this was God's will. Uh, Jonah said, do it. I, this is the problem that we're having, the, the sea, uh, the storm. He says, it's because of me. But what did the guy, well, you know, Jonah, we don't really, you know, we don't really want to do that. So in trying to spare his life, they were rowing harder. In, words, in their own effort, in their own energy, they were trying to do the will of God. The sailors showed more concern for Jonah's physical well-being than Jonah did for the spiritual well-being of those of people in Nineveh. And it's sad when you see the world is more concerned about helping people physically and materially than God's people often are helping the world spiritually. Because spiritual needs are so much more important than physical needs. We're often willing many times to work so hard for our physical and material needs, but not for our spiritual needs. Now, it's not wrong to help people with the material and physical. But what really matters is man's soul. Our first duty is to the the soul and not the body. And I think Jesus made that point in Matthew 10, 28, when he said, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Instead, fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. You see, it didn't matter how hard those sailors rode. They finally had to give in to the will of God and throw Jonah off the boat. Look at verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Can you imagine what the sailors were thinking as they were throwing Jonah off the ship, seeing seeing him flying through the air, splashing down into the water, bobbing up and down like like a cork? And then going down uh, for, under for the last time. And then the waves suddenly stop. What we're going to do now, we're going to look at the important things that calmed the storm. All right? At first, they didn't want to throw Jonah off. They, just, they tried rowing harder to make things better. They tried their, putting their own effort into making things better. So the first thing that we see that caused the the storm to stop was what? Submitting to God's will. They they finally threw Jonah overboard. And it says the storm stopped. The sailors weren't saved because of the danger that they were in. Because they had rowed harder. It was when they believed the message of deliverance given by Jonah. He says, hey, I'm the cause of all of this. If you throw me overboard, everything's going to be better. When, they believe, when the sailors believe the message of deliverance given by Jonah to throw him overboard, even though disagreed with his message, it stopped the storm. You see, salvation comes the same way. We have to believe the message of the gospel if we're going to be saved. We can roll harder, which is really just saying, you know, hey, we can work at it. We can do do what we think is right. We can do what we think will get us saved, you know, our own ideas. But until we submit to God's way, we'll never be saved. We have to believe the message of the gospel if we're going to be saved. It also took the sailors faith to do what they had just done. And it, has to, it, has to, it also has. It takes faith in every area of life to get the results that we want. So Jonah had to be thrown overboard before the storm would stop. And Jesus must be received as Savior before a person is saved. And notice also that Jonah didn't jump overboard. He didn't do it on his own. The sailors had to throw Jonah overboard. This was the only way the sailors could truly show their faith in what Jonah said. He said, throw me overboard. And again, at first they didn't want to do it. They just, uh, no, we'll just row harder. They had to show, again, their faith in what Jonah said by throwing him overboard. Just because Jonah was willing to be thrown overboard, that didn't save the sailors from the storm. They, the sailors, had to throw Jonah overboard to be safe from the storm. It's the same with salvation. Just because Jesus has died on the cross for all men's sins does not mean that you're automatically saved. You have to call upon the Lord to save you before you will be saved. After the sailors saw that their own efforts, remember, rowing harder, after they saw their own efforts uh, fail to save themselves from the storm and that they were getting nowhere, then they cried out to God. Look at verse 14. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased." And I went out of order purposely because, again, of the the flow of the, the message here. Prayer, you know, again, you get to your wit's end. You know, and, and the storms in life, you know, they, they keep going. But until we submit to God and we, we, we follow God and we live by faith, you know, until, until that happens, you know, God will allow those storms to go on. And, and, and here now we see these guys in verse 14 that say they're crying out to the Lord now. Prayer is such a great advantage to our life. And it does so much to help us submit to doing things God's way. And the person who doesn't pray much <clears throat> will be a person who has trouble submitting to the will of God. And remember, prayer and submission go hand in hand. Prayer and submission go hand in hand. The prayer of the sailors, it, w- it was a very wise prayer. A very wise prayer. So the first thing that we saw was submission to causing to settling the storms of life submission now we see that it was a very wise prayer we have to pray wisely it was a wise prayer because of the person that they prayed to and this is so important we hear a lot of people say they pray but who are they praying to Luke 11, one says, Now it came to pass as he was plain, praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Notice we have to learn how to pray. It says that they cried out, Oh, Lord, Lord is all in capitals, which is Jehovah. The name of the Lord. Notice, and these were the pagan sailors. They were crying out to Jehovah God. They weren't praying anymore to their pagan gods. How many, as I said, how many times have you heard people say, you know, I'll be praying for you. Oh, my thoughts and prayers go out to you. And you know, they're not Christians. Well, what God are they praying to? Who are they praying to? You know, we are to pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. And prayer won't do us any good if we're not praying to the right person. Calling on Jehovah God for deliverance tells us that the sailors had been converted. Their theology has changed. They learned that their paganism provided that that proved to be no value in the storm. Remember earlier they said cry out to your gods. The captains said cry out to your gods and pray that the storm would be stopped. Nothing stopped it until they saw the God of Jonah when they obeyed God jonah and threw him into the sea they want a true believer i'm I'm sorry they want a true deliverer and that's jehovah god and in the same way you may call on a thousand other things to save you but but you'll still perish if you don't call on christ to save you the next thing that we see that 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 helped to calm the storm the sailor's prayer was was wise because it was passionate Their prayer was passionate. It says they cried out and they pleaded. They prayed seriously, which is uh, evidenced by the words cried and pleaded. They They meant business when they prayed. They were serious. And a lot of prayer is lacking in earnestness. There's no passion in prayer. There's no energy in the prayers. And the lack of passion takes away the effectiveness of our prayer. James said in James 5.16, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Notice, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. There are seven qualifications there. The word fervent, first of all, means to be active. It means to be efficient. It means to be mighty in. Are we mighty in prayer? Are we active? Are we efficient in our prayer? But fervency by itself is not enough. There's other requirements necessary for effective prayer as well, but without fervency, our praying will be in vain. Three important requirements are mentioned in James five sixteen, if you want to have an effective, productive prayer life. Notice James said effective fervent prayer. First of all, James says it talks about the quality of the praying, the quality of the praying. These two words, effective and fervent, are translated from one Greek word and says to pray with energy and enthusiasm. You see, if we don't have earnestness in our prayers, that, that in our, we can't expect God to be earnest in answering our prayers. Then James shows the second thing in, in, in his prayer there in James five sixteen the quality of the prayer itself. The word prayer means to ask someone a specific request. And if you want specific blessings, you'll have to pray specifically. Just don't throw up a shotgun prayer. We need to be specific and say, Lord, bless or, or, or heal or, or do it specifically. If you want specific blessings, you pray specifically. We must be specific if we want success in our prayer life. Then the third thing that, that James shows us here in James 5.16, he says, may it be of a righteous man. The quality of the person praying is important. Because, see, sin will stop the success of your prayers. If you want to pray well, you've got to keep your hands and your heart clean. Purity is a basic qualification for prayer to be effective and productive. The psalmist said in Psalm sixty-six, eighteen: 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, notice the Lord will not hear. Isaiah 59, 2. Your iniquities have separated you from God and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. And then, the sailors' prayer itself was wise. The sailors prayed, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. The sailors asked that... The throwing of Jonah overboard wouldn't bring judgment upon them. They said, Lord, please don't please don't bring judgment on us for, for throwing this man overboard. The sailors believed that throwing Jonah overboard would mean death for Jonah. Their prayer also said the, that the sailors believed that if you killed innocent blood, you should perish for that man's life. So they believed in capital punishment, which we see many times. That's just you know many people don't believe in capital punishment anymore the sailors believed it was only right that when innocent shed uh, innocent blood was shed the one who did it should perish that's god's way when that person sheds innocent blood that person is worthy of death but it surely isn't that that way today in, in man's thinking in our land today The sailors, though, they had nothing to worry about because they wouldn't be guilty of shedding innocent blood because Noah was not innocent. They wouldn't be guilty for, for, again, shedding innocent blood, for throwing Jonah overboard because, again, Jonah wasn't innocent. They were worried about it, and that's why they prayed. Again, which is a very wise thing to do. We need to take all of our current concerns to the Lord in prayer rather than you know worry and fret about them and, and get sick over them the sailors needed to help I'm sorry the sailors needed help to carry out the will of God so they went to prayer and after some wise praying they moved forward to do what they needed to do and as soon as the sailors submitted to the order of God to, to throw Jonah overboard we see what happened Verse 15 says, "The sea ceased from its raging. The storm stopped, the sea got calm. How quickly the change from impossible to possible when, sailors threw, when the sailors threw Jonah off the ship? Luke 1:37 says, "For with God, nothing will be impossible." Earlier, remember, the sailors had tried their best tried their best to find other ways to bring peace to the stormy situation. Again, remember, that they were rowing as hard as they could. Again, in their own efforts, trying to bring peace to the storm. But it wasn't until peace. Peace did not come until they submitted to God's plan and threw Jonah into the sea, that the sea stopped raging. Then there was peace for the men and the ship. Psalm thirty-three, ten. 11 says the lord frustrates the plans of the nations and thwarts all their schemes but the lord's plans stand firm forever his intentions can never be shaken god has plans god has intents and we're not going to stop them we can't thwart them we need to follow through with them peace is one of the blessed results of submission to god's way and will So many times, you know, you you talk to people, say, you know, you need to give it to the Lord. You need to turn your life over to the Lord. You know, and so many times in in counseling, you tell them what they need to do. And you know what? They'd rather walk out without Jesus than turning their life over to Jesus and continue to live in their mess. And there's times I've gotten called months later. They're in the same boat. I says, I have nothing. To, I tell them, I don't have anything to tell you. I told you what needed to be done. You needed to turn it over to Jesus. You know, it, it, it's like they want some magic pill or he wants to give you some formula. Anything but accepting Christ. <laughs> but I told I, you, know, I'll tell you. there's nothing new that I can tell you. But again, they'd rather go on and and reject Jesus and continue to live miserably. Again, peace is one of the blessed results of submission to God's way and will. And yet how slow we are to learn this lesson. And how often the person has to learn it again and again and again in the hard way. When the heart becomes filled with turmoil. So many times people try. They often try many other ways than submission to God to bring peace. But you can't be doing things contrary to the known will of God and expect, expect much peace in your life. Isaiah forty-eight twenty-two says, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. And the peace of salvation is also a result of submission to God's way. Man needs peace. I mean, we see that today more than ever. Man needs peace with God. Because sin has caused a great conflict between God and man. And the only way to stop the wrath of God, seen here in the storm you see, from falling upon man was for man to submit to God's way of deliverance. And when we follow God's way, when we submit to His will, when when that's done, we will have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1, Paul said, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So throwing Jonah into the sea had a wonderful effect on the sailors in their attitude towards God. Look at verse 16. Then... Notice then, the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they took vows. Notice the word "then" in verse sixteen means at a point. There was a point, and at that point, they made sacrifices and they were exceedingly uh, afraid of uh, feared the Lord. The word "feared" means reverenced him, and they made vows. The men feared the Lord exceedingly offered a sacrifice, and they took vows. As a result of what they experienced, what they saw, they had this spur of the moment, this impromptu time of worship on the ship. What the sailors did in their worship service made it an excellent worship service. First of all, the sailors, it says, feared the Lord exceedingly, which is the motivation for the... This is what motivated their worship. Fear played a big part in the life of the sailors in their dealings with Jonah. When the storm came up, Scripture says they were afraid. When we first started the chapter, notice it says they were afraid. Then, after talking to Jonah, they were exceedingly afraid. And notice what it says here. They feared God exceedingly. The fear that they had for the storm, it was a fleshly fear. It was a natural fear. But the other two times, it was an honorable fear because it involved an honorable attitude towards God. Their fear here is an attitude that stands in awe of God. They revere God for who He is. They revere God for what they saw God do. It's a fear that respects God, that reverences Him, that honors Him. It's the kind of fear that God causes men to want to worship them. God gives us a a fear that causes us to want to worship Him, just like the the sailor's behavior shows us here. And when we're motivated to worship by this fear of God, this reverence, we'll be worshiping with a high and holy motivation. Without the fear of God, that is the reverence of God, hey, one can't worship well at all. That reverence for God, hey, it's a major requirement to worship God. This This enthusiasm, it has to be present or your worship becomes a farce inwardly. It might have an outward form of worship, but it's a farce inwardly. And worship is both inward and outward. It's an inward and outward attitude. The fear of the Lord is an attitude of the heart. It's that which is inward in a person. And by making a sacrifice to the Lord, that's outward. that, That sacrifice made to the Lord, it's an outward expression of what's going on in the heart. And since the sailors feared the Lord, since they reverence the Lord, it should be it shouldn't be surprising that they sacrificed to the Lord. Though it may have been something they they didn't do much at the time. Then next thing the next thing the Bible says that the sailors did was notice they, they, they took vows. That is, they made vows to God. Now, what kind of vows did they make? We don't know. But whatever the vows were, they they that whatever the vows were that they made, we can learn a lesson here. Because, you see, a genuine worship service will have a very healthy effect on a person's life. It will, want to, it will make you want to live more godly. It'll want to make you more holy and more consecrated to God. If you can attend a worship service and you can leave without it affecting you, either the worship service was bad or your attitude of the service was bad. Any vows are usually made at the end of a worship service when an invitation is given. Invitations are given to urge a person to make a vow, to make a decision or a commitment to make a change of some kind in his or her life. And at the end of a worship service, some make the decision to receive Christ as Savior. Others make decisions about giving or or about forsaking some evil habit or about going into full-time ministry. And it doesn't have to be a public invitation in order to make a vow. I mean, you can make a vow to God anywhere you want. The important thing is that a genuine worship service will make you want to increase your consecration to God. And that's why we need to attend worship services. And this is a worship service. Sunday morning is a worship service. It was definitely an amazing day for these sailors. It was an amazing experience for these sailors. And it was probably the greatest day of their lives. We don't hear about them anymore in scripture after this. But the last thing that we hear about them was that they feared God. They feared God. They offered him sacrifices and they made vows to him. That's a pretty good way to hear about these guys for the last time. Because it definitely speaks well about them. And it's helpful to make a note that it was a storm in their lives that resulted in a great improvement in their relationship with God. So don't don't get upset and angry with the when you encounter those storms in your life they will serve a great purpose if you submit to the storm. A lot of times we 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 go against the we fight God. Why God? Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? This is painful. It's suff- I'm suffering and I'm hurting and, and that may be true. But God isn't just it isn't a random act by God. It isn't something that he does because he doesn't have anything better to do. It's because he loves us and he, he wants it to serve a greater purpose in our life. And what we have to do, is the Bible tells us that. Instead of arguing and just saying, why God, we need to say, okay, Lord, your word says, I am going to encounter storms in my life. I just need to submit those storms, and I need to trust you to get me through the storms. And when you submit and you quit trying to bump heads with God, that's when things get they start to go smooth, and God enables you to deal with the storm, to go through the storm. But it's submission that it takes. So they could say, that is the sailors could say, like the psalmist in Psalm one nineteen seventy one. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Wouldn't wouldn't it be great if all of us would allow the storms in our lives to improve our relationship with God? And now, as we approach the end of this section of scripture, we begin the great fish story. The Greatest Fish Story Ever Told, which we're coming to the end of the study this, this evening. But I'm, I'm just, you know, in, in introducing this as the beginning for the next, the next time we're together. It begins the, the biggest, the greatest fish story ever told. Now, if you're a fisherman or fisherwoman, however you want to go, you know <clears throat> there's a lot of fish stories. You know, and some of them are fun to listen to. You know, you, you, you've heard these guys, they go, oh man, you should have seen the one that got away. Oh man, I almost had him in and he got off the line. And you know, there's a, there's a, a tale, and obviously it's not true, but it's one of those fish stories that uh, I used to go fishing up in the Sierras. And uh, they would talk about jingles, jingles, the fish that nobody could catch. And they called him jingles because when he bit the lure, he'd break the line. And all of these lures that he broke off when, you, when he'd swim by, you could hear him jingling. So again, fish stories are abundant. They're fun. And yet, Jonah's fish story is true. But it does make the book of Jonah a big target for those who Refused to believe the word of God and and they love to mock the Bible J. Sidlow Baxter a pastor a theologian and evangelist one of my favorite authors also He said this book of Jonah more than any other book of scripture has been the butt of the scoffer James Simpson said of this fish story. No miracle has been more severely scrutinized J.G. Butler said disbelief describes well the attitude of many regarding the book of Jonah because it's a word, speaking of the word disbelief, it's a word signifying a very strong rejection. One of our dictionaries, he says, makes it even stronger than unbelief, even though we automatically use unbelief and disbelief interchangeably. Butler goes on to say, it says that unbelief is a mere failure to admit... Disbelief is a positive rejection. Another of our dictionaries, he says, gives a similar meaning. It says, Disbelief is a positive rejection of what is stated or asserted. What is stated and asserted in Jonah is that Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, and then he was vomited out of the great fish alive and well. But many positively and adamantly reject this as being fact. He says in our next study, We'll be looking at the problem of disbelief when it comes to regarding Jonah's fish experience to show that disbelief has no justification. And we'll see that the skeptics discredit disbelief by their lack of valid arguments and that Scripture, our much attacked text, This proves disbelief when it's examined carefully and that the Savior attacks disbelief in Jonah's fish experience by his reference to it during his ministry. Father, we thank you so much for your awesome word, Lord. And we thank you, Father, that you are our God of truth, Lord. And that Father Jesus validates the book of Jonah when he speaks about it in his ministry, Lord, in the Gospels. We know that God is not a liar. He's not man that he should lie. So, Father, as we prepare for next time, Father, help us to to look and to read ahead, God, and to see the things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When to 27 uh, Jeremiah is in bonds and yokes. So we'll see what happens then. God bless you guys.